Welcome to Uncanonical, the kinship podcast. When something is canonical or accepted as canon, it refers to any inspired writings accepted as holy scripture. This is not that. This is stories of faith, stories of loss, and biblical stories told with many liberties taken. My name is Jacqueline, and today I get to sit down with author and editor, my dear friend and soul sister, Tamar Smith. Hi, Tamar. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for saying that. I am so excited to have you here. Um, I'm really excited for people to hear some of your story because I think it has elements that are really relatable and that other young adults and frankly, people in general can really relate to and and also find comfort and solidarity in Mm -hmm. Uh, with that. Uh, Give us a bit of backstory. Who are you? Tell us a little bit about your faith, what it was like growing up, what your church experience was like, all that. All right. Well, I grew up in a Christian family. I remember going to church for the first five years of my life. So we went fairly often. Around the age four, maybe maybe age five, we, we stopped going to church and it never really crossed my mind why. It's just that we were very busy. Um, I had a lot of extracurricular activities outside of school, and I just kind of always equated it to we were too busy to go to church. I do remember a few times asking my parents, hey, why aren't we going to church? And they didn't really know how to respond to that, but I didn't think much of it. And so we just kind of continued on, and we didn't really plugged back into church until probably I was 13, so in grade eight, we started attending church more regularly. And then when I turned 14, we kind of stopped going to church um, just because my parents were going through um, some marriage problems and they needed to sort that stuff out first when they did sort everything out. And we got back together as a family and we were reunited and we were going through a process of healing. We started going to church again more regularly. So that would have been around the time in 2008. So I would have been about 15 or 16 years old. And we found a really nice church in Edmonton where I grew up. And um, we attended there for about five years. And I felt really plugged into church there. Um, I really liked the messages that were being shared, and I, I found a community that I could connect with. Um, it was a running group, and so it was really cool to hang out with other young adults and older adults too, just adults in general. I was one of the younger ones, but it was really fun to hang out with them and, and just kind of connect and hear their stories, and we kind of bonded over the love of running. And after we would go running, we would go and have coffee at Second Cup. And I always cherish those moments. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of church. And I also enjoyed going to church just just myself, not even as a family thing. Um, If my parents were out of town, I would drive myself to church and just listen. And I just really enjoyed the messages and being plugged in. And then... um, we switched churches after about four or five years and then went to another church and then stayed there for about six months and then we went to another church so we kind of church hopped a lot and it kind of confused me because the church that we went to when i was a teenager that i felt really connected to i didn't understand why we weren't attending there so that's kind of my my back story and my, yeah, my, my church story. Cool. Um, there was a few gaps in there where it sounded like your family, yeah, you said your family wasn't going to church anymore. Did you find that there was still um, faith present in the home? Like, did was faith played out in your home when you guys weren't connected to church, or did the two go hand in hand? Faith was always present in our home, whether we went to church or not. Um, We were always praying together as a family. I think it was really rooted deeply within us just to pray and to always believe and and just kind of act out our faith, walk out our faith that way, even if we didn't go to church. Um, So it could be the reason why 
I'm not going to church today is because it wasn't, I don't equate going to church with the level of faith, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, faith has always been present in my life. Every second, every day, I've never stopped believing. I've had doubts, but I've never stopped believing. I've been angry, but I've never stopped believing. I've had tons of questions, but I've never stopped believing. As Christians, we we think that we need to just listen and believe it and not question. But I do think that we were given brains. Mm-hmm. And I think that we do need to question our faith. And I don't think God is scared of our questions. I don't think that he's angry that we're asking them because I think they're very legitimate. Where did you go to find answers when you had those questions? Were those answers that you worked out for yourself, that you worked out in a community of other Christians, um, that you went to the Bible, went to church? How did you find answers for some of those questions? You're smirking. (laughs) Yes, it's kind of funny. I actually Googled. I Googled. I I thought Google (laughs) would have the answers for me. Did Google have the answers for you? You know, Google had some very interesting perspectives. Yeah. Bless Google. Yes. <laughs> Go on. No, it was really interesting because I would literally type some of the questions that I had into Google just to see what other people in the world are saying about it, Christian and non-Christian, and just kind of understanding, you know, the Bible a bit more, understanding the context a bit better, understanding the concept a bit better, understanding the question. Um and this might be a taboo thing, but I went to a psychologist as well. I hope that's not a taboo thing. I love. I think people should always go to psychologists. Yeah, I do too. But I think that sometimes people, especially in in church, you have to be careful who you go see as well. Mm-hmm. I did go to a Christian counselor, a Christian psychologist. She had a different story, and um, it was at the time she matched me and so she was able to help me answer a lot of the questions and so i reached out to the psychologist i looked online for articles and i talked to my friends because a lot of my friends do have a christian background or have grown up in church or are in church so i do have christian friends that i was able that i am able to talk to and and hash things out with. Mm. I also have non-Christian friends too that I think are really rational and grounded and they just have such good hearts and you can trust what they're saying. They cared for you as a person and so the advice they gave, even if it didn't come from a faith background, was advice that was rooted in your best interests as far as they could Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back a little. You talked about having the running group and it sounded kind of like maybe your best church experience was that church where you had a community. And there's this phrase, I don't know if you've heard it a lot in like the churchy communities, but people always talk about like doing life together. Mm. Actually, that might just be me. It's my church's motto is doing life no, together. No, <laughs> I love saying doing life together. Okay. I so it's it not too. just us. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was just wanting to talk a little bit more about that, about the whole doing life together. Um, Cause it sounded like that experience with the running group was really valuable to you. What, what importance do you place on doing life together? Oh, doing life together, you know, whether it's in a relationship or with your friends or family, doing life together means that no matter what, you are, got, you are going to get through anything. It just means that we are going to handle this messy, beautiful thing called life. What about from a faith perspective specifically? Because it sounds like you were in and out of church and then... Um, when you had some of these questions going to the internet or magazines, do you think it would have made a difference to you to have a church community around you as you were asking some of these hard questions? Did you feel like that was an option? I didn't feel like it was really an option. And, you know, I kind of prefer finding out the answer for myself um, and actually doing the work because I do know that our salvation, we're supposed to be working it out. And this, to me, is working out my faith. It's faith in action, it's really asking the hard questions. And I think 
for so long I had heard I had heard so many perspectives from church but you know when it came to discussing some of the really hard things it was hard to discuss those things because there was a bias if you're really wrestling with these questions I think having transparency and a safe place to talk about these things these tough difficult things um I think that's that's a that that community has to be there that um it sounds like the church to you wasn't those things yeah that it, yeah it wasn't it was safe but it wasn't as safe as i thought it was and i and it was just in subtleties that i picked up over time like when we had discussions about certain things i think the one of the things that gave me kind of a you know a red flag i wouldn't I don't know if the red bad flag, taste in your mouth. bad taste in my mouth, exactly, yeah. was the topic of can you lose your salvation? Go. And so um, in my mind, I still believe this too. I do honestly believe that, you know, if you're saved, if you have accepted Jesus, you are saved. I don't think you can, I don't think that there's any way to lose that. But in so many churches, you're taught to recommit yourself, always get baptized. Um, And I even heard at one point that you could lose your salvation. And I thought that was crazy because I thought, how could you, how could you lose it? You know, even Peter denied Jesus three times, but he was still very close to Jesus and he repented, of course, but it didn't make him lose his belief for his salvation. Yeah. When Jesus came back, he gave him three opportunities. He asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course, I love you. So instead of rebuking him or removing his salvation from him, he instead gave him equal opportunity to restore himself in his holiness towards the kingdom, right? Like Mm -hmm. he denied him three times and he got to declare his love for Christ three times. There's opportunities, and as humans, we are going to fail. We are not perfect, and we never will be. And I don't think there's a way of ever being having a perfect faith or having a perfect salvation. So that was something that was really kind of shocking to me. And it was just kind of little things like that that made me question and think like, hmm, I don't really know if I agree with that. Yeah, is the church as safe of a space as they say they are? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that church is not a safe place. I do know that there's a ton of safety within the church community. I mean, I have told some of my deepest, darkest secrets to some of my closest friends in the church. And they have had really helpful advice. They were so supportive. And it really helped me go through hard times. You know, so there is... An element of safety. I, I believe that church is safe. I believe that the community is safe. But I do think that there are sometimes um, misguided, misguided leaders. leadership. Yeah. Sure. Um, and it's interesting too. I, it sounds like this theme, um, it, it makes sense that you would discuss this theme because I also wanted to talk about um, the part that you sort of just glazed over, which was that your family stopped attending church again when your parents were struggling or going through something. And so it sounds like that theme is still present there as well. Like if we're not okay, if we're not perfect, we can't, we can't participate in church. We can't participate in the body of Christ. Was, was that, do you know the reasoning behind that? Is that, is that the message that was conveyed to you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think that's what a lot of Christians believe is that you have to be perfect in order to go to church you have to be clean you have to wear your best clothes you have to clean up your act and then you can go to church i know logically that that's not how it really is i know that logically but you know you still feel inside that you're not totally welcome because you're not perfect you know and it's really it's really sad because it puts kind of a a block in between, you know, and I do think that 
Church is meant to be a safe place for everyone. Um, but it can feel very divided in that sense. Yeah. And so now you're 27 mm-hmm. and you're not living in Edmonton anymore. Mm-mm. You've relocated. And since you've relocated, how long have you lived in Calgary now? I've lived in Calgary for four and a half years, almost five. Four and a half years. And have you gone to any churches here in town? Have you connected at all in those four and a half years to a church body? I've tried to find churches. It's been difficult um, just because I do know that with church, you you shouldn't go based on feeling, but sometimes it, it is a lot on feeling. You know, you want to feel like you, you're accepted there. You want to feel the vibe, basically. From the second you step into the building, you want to feel some sort of presence. And I felt that coming into, going into some of those churches, you know, you 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 don't feel the presence fully or you you feel the presence initially, but then you go in and you hear the, the sermon and not that you should base it off of one time. I had gone a few times, but you kind of listen to what the pastor's saying and you can kind of get a vibe for what the church believes um, because the pastor is the representative of that specific church. So, you know, it the pastor could have a really somber serious message one day okay that's that's fine but you go a second time and if it's the same thing over you're like huh and then you go a third time and if it's the same thing again then you're like okay so this is really what they're about mm-hmm. it's not just okay we're gonna have a serious message this week that needs to be told um and we're gonna have a more uplifting encouraging one the next week if it's like constantly um serious and somber every single time then you kind of know that all right i don't think i'm going to feel very welcome here Mm -hmm. i don't think i'm coming into the best community sure if there isn't a sense of hope that's sort of and grace that's pervasive in that in that body it's not going to feel very welcoming exactly yeah it sounds like there's a few things that kind of contribute to the taste that's been left in your mouth with regards to church whether that's um, the different communities you experienced as a kid, that feeling of having to be perfect, even if you know that's not true, that that's the message that's been told on you. Um, Can you imagine a world that would have a church that would feel welcoming to go back to? Like, can you think of things that the church could be differently that that would inspire you to want to get connected again? Or does that feel like it's something that um, that doesn't have a part in your faith going forward? I think that the that finding a church that has a really good community is very hard to find. Um, And I don't know if there's actually a perfect church community. Actually, no, there isn't a perfect church community. (laughs) But I don't think it would hinder me from going to church. You just have to find the right fit. Um, I do think, yeah, community is a huge part and you have to feel safe at the end of the day. And I think... It's that unconditional love and acceptance that I think is missing from a lot of church. Does that answer the question? Yeah, sort of. I guess also I think I'm wondering if you have, (laughs) this is another one of those like really deep questions, so good luck. Um, I'm wondering if you have an idea for um, how to, how a church can maybe stand for the things in the Bible that are true, that need to be stood for, that are important, um, but in the spirit of unconditional love. Hmm. Because you said in like that other answer, like if um, if you go to a church once and there's a somber message and it's something that's really important and needs to be said, that's fine. But if that's the only thing that they're focusing on, it's not going to feel like an inviting church or a community that you want to be a part of. So, um, so I, I guess more like what is that balance? How do you if you understand to a degree that there's like the pastors have to call out certain things that need to be called out, we're like you said earlier, we're all not perfect for sure. Um, and so we all have areas we need to improve on and, and well, the process of being more sanctified, you know, to grow in holiness, be holy is Christ is holy. Um, is, is there a way that a leader can, um, or a church community can say, Hey, these things aren't okay because we need to, they'll get in the way of your relationship with God and we need, 
and and the whole point of having this faith and the work of Christ is to save us and then to be bringing us closer to him with more healing and more, um, yeah, and just with less with less hindrance to be closer to him, which is just like the epitome of holiness. Is there a way to kind of be on top of those things and to say like these are these are things that matter and these are things that are important, but without isolating the people? Mm-hmm. There's a really great book called Boundaries. I recommend everyone read it um, by um, Dr. Henry Cloud. And in this, he talks about how boundaries basically keep the good in and the bad out and and how you have to have boundaries with everything. To be a loving person, a loving parent, you need to have established boundaries. Likewise, I do think that the church could develop good boundaries in that sense where, okay, this is what we stand for, but we're not going to um, cut you off or distance ourselves emotionally when you don't live up to that standard. It's like being a good parent, if that makes sense. You love your kid unconditionally. You would do anything for your child. When they misbehave, you have to correct them, obviously, because they need to grow into responsible human beings and not monsters. And so, Bless. yes, yes, <laughs> no more monsters, please. Thank you. Exactly. I mean that in a very um, kind and kind, unconditional, loving way. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest way, a very endearing way. And so, um, yeah, you you want to train and discipline your kids so that they can grow up to be responsible adults when they do make a mistake, when they do fall short, and they will, you do not want to cut yourself off from your kid. You do not want to distance yourself emotionally. You don't want to manipulate their emotions because that gives a signal to the kid that, oh, I did something wrong and mom and dad don't love me anymore because of it. So therefore, when I'm good, I'm praised and it's everything's okay. But when I do something bad, I'm not welcome. I'm not accepted. And I think that if the church kind of adopted this mentality, I don't know how they could adopt this mentality, but if they could adopt this mentality, it might, I think it might be a way that more people would be willing to come. And I think there would be a lot of improvement, actually. Just that feeling like you're not judged. There's very few relationships in my life, um, if I'm honestly speaking. There's very few relationships in my life that I feel like completely unconditionally loved. It doesn't matter how angry I get or the silly things. It doesn't matter what I say, what I do, how I act. It does not take away from me as a person. That person still loves me for me. And that's really liberating. So if the church could do that, if the church could show and demonstrate parental guidance through love, that would be a liberating experience. Exactly. Kind of pointing out the standard of, okay, oh, this is, you know, this isn't really good what you're doing. This is why. But we still love you. You still have your own choices to make. You know, we're going to be here for you. Yeah, totally. If we could get the church to switch to that unconditional love, that would be really inviting, really liberating. Um, is that enough, you think, to foster the kind of community that also maybe seems to be lacking? Would that kind of fix the gap? Or is there are there other things that you can think of that the church could do or be or implement um, that would kind of have that have the effect of that vibe where you walk in and it feels like you're already at home or when you get there and and it's obvious that there are ways that you can get connected and people you can talk to and and a community already present with open arms Mm -hmm. i think the first place is to start with being authentic um you know i have been to some churches where they're very there are a lot of nice people but it's very superficial So they greet you at the door, they shake your hand, they might even hug you. They tell you where, you know, you can go sit. They kind of show you around a little bit. 
but then you don't see them afterwards. Mm-hmm. You, they don't say hi to you really ever again after that, except for when you walk in the door. And I kind of, there's a lot of churches that I think do this because, you know, they want to be friendly. They think, okay, we want to be warm and welcoming and inviting. And then this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to be good hosts, mm. basically. That's great. But I think what would be more effective is that if a host greeted someone at the door and showed them where things are, that's great. But even took the initiative during the service or after to just go say, hey, my name is blank. Um, What did you think of that service? I really liked this part. And just kind of get into a deeper level, have a deeper connection. There are tons of nice people at church, like so many lovely people. They're just always smiling and they're really nice and they just look so kind and you just so badly want to be friends with them. But you can't be friends with them because you're not going to go out of your way because you're going to a new church because you're feeling kind of shy and you don't really know anyone. But they've been maybe going for a bit longer and they're more connected, hence why they're greeting you at the door or volunteering but they don't go out of their way to make sure that you're doing okay. There's no community in that sense. There's a gap. So I think being authentic is the first place to start is just kind of trying to go beyond that initial step of smiling and greeting, but take it a step further and try to get to know the new person coming into your church. And Sometimes it's really hard to do with really big churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a solution for that. <laughs> but I have many solutions for that. Yeah. That's a different episode. Yeah, but, you know, even with smaller churches, it's a great first step for all the small churches that are listening. You know, going out of your way to really try to get to know the new people coming into your church, I think would go a long way because then they feel like, they're not just a number at your church. Mm-hmm. Taking this out of context a little bit, like, you know, I go to I go to the gym. The owners, the people that work there, they re- remember you. They call you by your name. They show you around every time you come in. Hey, how's your day going? And they just like, they make it very personal. I would like to know? clarify for the audience that this is a CrossFit gym. Yes. <laughs> So it's and a, a smaller bar studio. gym and a bar studio. Okay. So yeah. not, but I, like, not like fit, fit for less or like good life or mm. no. Yeah. So a smaller community, smaller community. Yeah. That invites you in and means, means what they say and says what they mean and, and greets you in an authentic way whenever you're there. Yeah. And you can really feel them being authentic too. You know that they're just not being nice just to be nice or to try to sell you something like you can tell that they truly believe in their product or in their service they truly care about the community um and they just want you to feel a part you know um how many times have i been asked i mean i've I've been pretty busy but i've been asked numerous times or are you going to come to this potluck or are you going to sign up for this event you know just try to engage with the community that you have um it never worked out for me just because I'm quite busy outside of work. Um, but, you know, I think that I do appreciate that gesture. They do care. Yeah. So if a church could do that somehow, like, hey, we're going to be having this thing or, hey, you look like someone who's in our young adults age group. We actually have this young adults group. They meet on this t- this day at this time. Let me go introduce you to the person who runs it. We'd We'd love for you to get connected with them and meet them halfway and come in the middle of the week, like, would that feel a little bit more genuine? Has anyone ever done that when you've walked into a church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the at the church that I went to when I was 16, um, and there was a lot of authentic people. There are a lot of lovely, authentic people that went there, and they had these small, uh, small adult groups. And... Um, one of them was the running group and it's like you just go and you sign up but it's kind of like you know the pastor at the front of at the front of the stage just kind of tells everyone okay we have these types of groups if you're interested 
they're there from this time to this time, go meet them, you know? And we, I went to a bigger church, like the church that I went to probably had, oh, 150, 200 people. I think that's a big, I don't not know. Bigger, bigger. bigger church. It, not mega church, but it's no, bigger church. Not yeah. a super church, but yeah, yeah. it was in a, it was in a theater, like a movie theater, mm-hmm. an old movie theater. So there were a lot of people, a lot more people there and they still made an effort and people went to the front and that's how I went to the running group. Which, but yes, okay, so even that, it sounds like that was the one church experience you had that would be the best church experience was was a space where they did that. Where they said, here's what we have to offer, here's communities you can get involved with, here's people of similar interests who connected you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I know from your story personally that you relocated in your early 20s from Edmonton to Calgary. And um, we talked a little bit about some of the big questions you were asking at that time. Um, when you were in Edmonton, you were going to church with your family and you haven't connected to a church since you've been to Calgary. I'm wondering how much family then plays a role in your activity in the church. It sounds like it doesn't necessarily affect your faith. Like they instilled that faith in you and you've carried it on regardless of what your family's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you also went kind of from that spoon fed just because they said so to the working it out for yourself and figuring out your own answers. So I don't know that it would have mattered what Mm -hmm. your family was or wasn't doing to your faith as a whole, but you were attending a church in Edmonton for a good chunk of your growing up years and haven't since you've been in Calgary. Um, Is that because of a change in community and a change in location or was it family that kept you connected to church? Honestly, I do think that it was family kind of connecting me to church because is something that they really valued. I have made so many lovely friends and created community outside of church that almost feels like church. Mm-hmm. Feels a little bit strange to say that, but I do think church can come in all um, different forms. I have to be honest, I it's kind of boring to study the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, I went to Bible school for two years, okay? What are you trying to say? (laughs) No, it's, um, for me, I'm not interested in studying the Bible. I'm interested in connecting with people and getting to know people. And I'm interested in wrestling with my faith and working it out and just kind of seeing what it really means to be a Christian, kind of coming into that realization of, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? Church is definitely part of it. But I think for me, going to church was more of a family affair. And I really enjoyed the family aspect of it, of connecting with my family and going together because a family that is united is a strong family and can get through anything. A family divided, you've got a whole other can of worms. You know, I really valued that family time and I think I I kind of placed importance on that value time, family time instead of really working on my own faith and really seeing what it meant to me and um, what it meant to be a Christian. So what do you think would be the best way and the best or the best ways plural to go about Kind of what you were just saying, the the working out your own faith, the the cutting into a mold like your own um, identity in faith. Because if you don't want to study the Bible, um, what are the what are the resources? What are the what are the tools that you're using to shape um, how your faith plays out? Mm-hmm. Well, I think experience is a huge thing. If I've learned anything in the last four years, five years of being on my own here out in Calgary. Um, my experiences taught me a whole lot. Um, I used to rely so much on my community to, to do the hard work for me. And I never really developed my own relationship with God. And that's the crux of being a Christian is having a relationship with God, believing that Jesus died for you, believing in God and having a relationship with Jesus, having a relationship with God. 
being connected and and my experience i learn by doing this there's three different types of learners you know kinesthetic visual auditory auditory i'm a kinesthetic person i learn by doing i would say is a big thing is the doing then that you're learning through um kind of influenced by what you learned about god in your preliminary years like in your formative years because you couldn't just like you know someone who's just walking down the street who knows nothing about faith could be having similar experiences as you but it wouldn't be faith-based and you they wouldn't be working out of faith so i'm wondering where um those elements of like your personal relationship with god that has to have a foundation of who he is and an identity of this Mm -hmm. is the person that i have a relationship with so is that experience that you're having now um built out of that foundational stuff as as a as a youth or are you finding like new resources now as well to speak into that identity that relationship and the faith that you're working out experientially oh church absolutely was the foundation for me um again i don't know the bible cover to cover but i have read many parts of it um i have done bible studies but it you know, when you kind of study it a little bit and you go to church and you learn about the deeper underlying message of it, it does kind of provide that foundation for you. And I think that's really important because someone who maybe doesn't have faith um, or who is experiencing a lot just doesn't know what to do with it. So I think having that foundation is important. But I think that a lot of Christians can get lazy and fall asleep at the wheel so I think the really important thing is to just focus on the relationship once you have the foundation that makes a lot of sense with what you were saying earlier about your experience with church lacking unconditional love and some of that grace um because if if the main thing you're focusing on is a relationship with God then 100% that's what you're going to find is that unconditional love and that grace um I don't know what unconditional love is, but I, I didn't, I should say, I didn't know what it was before. I thought I knew, but I didn't. And I didn't really understand it until these last four years happened. And I feel like I was just a little tiny embryo before. And now maybe I'm a teenager. <laughs> That's great. I feel like I'm still at about like two, two years old. I still throw temper tantrums at God sometimes. <laughs> Oh, I do too, but it's like... Your teenage temper tantrum. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Storm out of the room. <laughs> Hormone-fueled. Exactly. Rage, quit. Yeah, I'm I'm totally not there yet, but the amount of growth that I've had in the last four years is more than I have had in 20 years. How does God handle your tough questions? I think he welcomes them. I think he invites them, in fact. I think that... If you come at it in a conversational way, or not, you know, if you come at it kind of like pouting and complaining too, that's fine. That's cool. He's not afraid of that because God understands humans, you know, he understands the emotions and the way that they feel and the motives and he understands that life is hard. Life is really messy and no one ever told me that. That's something I had to learn the hard way. And I just think as Christians, you know, you're kind of given this blueprint. This is what you need to do to succeed in life. You need to do this, that, this, and that. Well, let's say you set out on that path thinking like, okay, if I do this and then I do that, then this is going to happen. And if when that happens, then this will happen and so on. But what happens if it doesn't happen? That has come in my face so many times in my life, ever since I was a teenager. Ever since I was a teenager, I didn't clue into it when I was a teenager because I just kind of thought like, you know, I'm young, like whatever, right? But now being in my late 20s, life is messy. Life is really, really, really messy. And I wish that I had been told how messy it could be in the church. I think they do say messy, but they don't really place a lot of significance on that. They just kind of 
brush over it. Like they just say life is messy and this happens and they just continue on. But if you believe and if you do this, well, what if I do that and it still doesn't work? Then what? Then what? Give me an answer. And a lot of people can't say anything. And people are looking for answers in their life. And so I wish someone had told me how messy life could be. But, you know, as messy as life has been, I've grown the most. And it's been very hard. It's been extremely uncomfortable. Um, I There were times where I felt like I don't know how much more of this I could take. But somehow there's always that small voice inside that says, just a little more, just a little more. We can get through this. We can get through this. And, you know, you just push through it. And I think that that's kind of missing in church too, is like what happens when you're trying to push through these really hard things? Who do you talk to about this kind of stuff? How do you, who do you talk to about the really tough questions that you are currently experiencing? And how can they help you? So I wish that that was something that someone had told me, that it's not picture perfect. It does not always go according to plan. And that's okay because it will work out for good. It will work out for good. It is All of this is for your own good. It's for shaping you. It's for molding you in, so that you can become the person that you are meant to be. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Thanks, Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely something you can't see until until you're I don't want to say a lot older until you're a bit older. It's amazing how much even a year, two, three, five years gives you some really crazy perspective on the struggles you got you went through or have gone through, even in your late teens, early twenties. Um, and I'm sure the same will be true five, 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. For the struggles and the challenges that that we're still facing and the mess that you're still in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. But you'll have the tools to get through it. And that's the important thing. You know, your church gives you the tools, but sometimes they don't always tell you how to use them. They they do tell you, but you still don't really know how to use them. Yeah, you need a community to help you build a house. They can't just give you a hammer. Exactly. And and telling you how to use those tools in the right way is really important. But also like giving you the grace to try to figure it out on your own too is really important. And giving that person space to figure out what they need to do instead of um, condemning them, judging them for how they're handling a certain situation. Not not giving up on you just because you bent a couple nails trying to figure out how to use the hammer. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it would be nice too if the church was always that listening ear, the person that you could go to with the really hard things. And when your life was really messy, you felt like it was a safe enough space to go to them and and have them be a listening ear and instructional on how to move forward or even just to be a sounding board when you're trying to figure it out and to kind of point you in the right direction, like mm-hmm. be like a paddle of like, here's, you know, the ball hits here. And you're like, okay, what about this? And they can point you back in another direction to bounce back into instead of back the way you came or back into the struggles you were just facing in the mess you were just trying to get out of. Mm-hmm. Or at least point out, okay, these are the options. Yes, totally. Yes. And here's, yeah, pros and cons to those options or, mm-hmm. or you know, the, the, the supportive reasons behind them. Like biblically, yeah, this would be an option or this would be why this would be a really good decision for you or this is why, you know, but there's not only one right answer all the time. Um, Cause I think a lot of times in young adult years, especially late teen years, we get hung up on, I have to know what I'm doing. I have to know this. I have to, like you said, follow step A, B, C, D, and E. Um, when really, as long as you're following, um, as long as you're trying, as long as you're listening to God and living a holy life and loving people and doing those basic principles, sometimes the way those steps play out, isn't nearly as important and and God can guide those steps. And if we think that he's not powerful enough to guide our steps, 
then I think we're really putting him in a box that if we don't apply to the right university or if we don't take the right job or if we don't date that first right person, then our lives are off course and God can't use them anymore. It feels like a common lie that we don't even realize we're believing when we're younger. Yeah, and you just said it right there. We're putting God in a box. And I think a lot of times we put God in a box. Let him out of the box. <laughs> Let him out of the box. Um, he wants you... to be out. <laughs> Ultimate cosmic power. Itty bitty living space. Um, and so you said that you wish that someone had told you when you were younger that um, that life is messy and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else or what other things do you wish um, that someone would have told you or that you could even go back and tell early 20s tomorrow? I would tell myself that... I would tell myself to stop comparing myself to other people. I think this kind of goes hand in hand with life being really messy and not going the way that you think it should go or it ought to be. Um, For someone, it might go perfectly well and according to plan. That is definitely an option. And their friend might not have that same opportunity. And you cannot look at your friend and think like, I have to be like them. I ha- How come I, I must be not be successful if, if I haven't achieved the same things that they've achieved or I haven't gotten married by this time or if I hadn't had kids by this time or if I hadn't started this career at this time. Um, and I think our culture does that a lot. I think that Christian culture, I don't want to say that we do this all the time, but very often we compare ourselves, you know, parents telling their kids, you know, why can't you be like this person or kids looking at their parents and then seeing their friends, parents and thinking like, why can't my parents be like them? But maybe that's just part of a human. All humans do that. Maybe not just within the church, but I do think that if someone had told me to stop comparing myself, I think I think I wouldn't have been so hung up on certain things. And I think I just would have been more relaxed about how life was playing out and a little bit more ready to receive the things coming for me. If someone had told me like, oh, it's okay that this isn't happening yet. It will happen, but this is okay too. And we'll just go along with it and we're going to figure out where you're going to go and it's going to be fine. So that is a big piece of advice I would tell my 22-year-old self is stop comparing and realize that you are not perfect. You do not need to gain approval from people. You do not need to gain other people's acceptance. You are just lovely the way you are. God loves you the way you are because you are fearfully and wonderfully made as you are. And he loves you no matter what. Like when you start to understand God's love for you, it really does change you. And I did not understand God's love for me until I moved to Calgary and started a relationship, my first relationship. I didn't understand what unconditional love was. And now I get it. And it is like mind-blowing. It's so mind-blowing and liberating and just so beautiful. It is like the most beautiful thing ever. And, And then you just look at the other relationships that you have in your life. I look at the other relationships I have in my life and I just see that I am surrounded by so many people that love me unconditionally. And that is really humbling. But I did not understand this before. (laughs) You know, you're, you know it, but you don't really know it. Jesus loves me. I know. Exactly. (laughs) You know, that's kind of just like hammered into your head as a kid. But until you really go through the struggles of life and go through some messes and just, you know, fall flat on your face, you don't really get that love until you go through those moments. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I've got a lot of stories of maybe more others in my life than myself where there was some things that just seemed irredeemable, you know, just circumstances that you couldn't even imagine how that could 
be beautiful yeah. later. And, and watching the way that God worked in those moments and those circumstances and those people and just really just like divine redemption of those moments is, yeah, it, 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 it completely changes your perspective on, on God and what he's capable of doing um, and how, how big, how big his love ends up being, but you don't realize it. If you've got very little to overcome, you don't understand how big the overcoming was. Oh yeah. When you've got a huge valley to overcome, then that's when you can really see how big God was for overcoming it. Oh yeah. And you see how much he loves you. Like it's just, it is truly mind blowing. I hope that everyone reaches that point one day where they can just understand what God's unconditional love really is. And I think the second that they begin to understand that is the second that church in general will begin to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then it doesn't matter if the church isn't perfect because you know that God's love is perfect. And even when it applies to the people of the church who are obviously flawed, mm-hmm. there's still going to be that love. And whether that's coming from them or coming from you or whatever, it, it, it matters a little less because it's coming from God. And that's the important part. Absolutely. Love that. (laughs) Thanks, Tamar. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being inaugural podcast episode one. Thanks for believing in it enough to give up your time before it even existed. No, I'm super excited to see where this podcast goes. And honestly, I do think you are onto something with this. And so my prayer for you is that you would just take this idea and run with it and don't look back. (laughs) Do not look to the left or the right. Do not look to the back. You only are allowed to look forward and up. Deal. Yeah. Deal. Okay, well, thanks for sharing your story. And thank you to everyone who has listened to this episode, um, whether that's right after it is in existence or many moons down the road. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncanonical. If you have any questions or want to get a hold of us, you can email uncanonicalpodcast at gmail.com Find us on Facebook or Instagram at Kinship Conference. And to find all our new episodes, head to kinshipconference.com slash podcast.